0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Welcome to the Human-Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the Human-Animal Connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of... The Human Animal Connection.
1: Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show. My name is Mike Overly. I am your host. And with me, of course, is Jeannie Joseph. Jeannie, hey. Hey. (laughs) What is going on?
2: Today, we're talking about principle number four of the Human Animal Connection Method, and it is called Sensational Awareness. Sensational Awareness. And we really talk about how you can really partner up with your intuition. You know, uh, probably most people listening to these show are are people who believe that their intuition is a powerful asset to their personality. And so this kind of this focus is really about using our senses to pay attention to our body sensations, to the gut feelings, to our, you know, what feels right in our skin or what doesn't feel right to us. So it's all about that and how the wisdom of the senses is really a pathway and that's what we're talking about today.
1: I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So, So how, how then does that help us deepen our connection to our animals?
2: When we are open to that channel of intuition, that is when we can most deeply communicate with animals where we can hear what they're actually feeling and where they can hear what we're actually feeling. So it's tuning up that channel of communication and connection So in any relationship, the better the communication, the better the connection. So when we open that channel of deep listening, you might call it, animals just love it. They're like, wow, you're talking to me? (laughs) You know, like they that's shelter dogs. They're like, you know, nobody's talked to them. They're just so happy when somebody opens up and, and starts. First, they're a little like, huh? (laughs) but then they go, wow, this is cool. A human who can talk.
1: (laughs) Uh, I get that from Indigo sometimes when I tune out and I tune back in, she's like, okay, are you listening now?
2: (laughs) Right. Indigo's your dog, right? Just for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, they really, Sophia, my dog, she really senses when I'm here, when I'm present and when I'm not. And if I'm paying attention to her, she'll alert me like, hello, (laughs) you know, where are you? Now, I can miss that cue because that's just a subtle, very subtle dog cue. It's not a bark. It's just sometimes it is a a body position, a stillness, she'll sit and look at me a certain way, sort of like sideways a little bit. And I know, uh, okay, that means I've been kind of running around or just getting too over-amped and I need to come back down into the peaceful zone. So by paying attention to her, her body language, I get back in touch with my own senses, realize I'm maybe moving a little too fast or just stressy or something. and uh, she can help me get back into the zone where where I'm more peaceful and that's where I can make better decisions and where I can really if I have a choice, like you know that I have to make a choice, my intuition, my sensations will tell me one choice feels better in my body than another. and that helps me make the best decision I can.
1: I love that. I love that. So t- you were t- you mentioned presence. So yeah. how how does this awareness help us to be here now?
2: Yeah. Well, if you're in the spiritual world, you probably heard the advice to be here now that now is the point of power as as Seth used to say. You know that we we've, we've all had histories and we've all, you know, have futures that we can't predict, but right now is where we can live. You know, this is what you know. Life is for living, as J. Allen Boone used to say. You know, and this is when we're in our sensory world. We're here now. When we're in our head, we're thinking about, worrying about the future, or, or you know, dwelling on the past. And you know, those are very human experiences. But animals really are much better at spending the majority of their time in the present. They they, they can come to what we succumb to. Um, fears about the future or thinking about the past. It's not that they don't do that, but they do it less. and they're much more easily to give that up. Like all you have to do is pet them or give them a nice treat or take them for a walk or anything that they really enjoy. And they're willing to let go of all of that in favor of what's happening right here right now. Yeah, so that's, you know, one of the ways that animals can really enrich our lives is because of their deep commitment to being right here right now, whatever whatever they see, smell, taste, touch, uh, experience energetically, that can take their full awareness and it can replace any th- thoughts or worries about something that happened in the past or something that could happen in the future. So they're really like Zen masters for us to help us be more here right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wrote about this in, in my book. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I I share that quite frequently with people and they go, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they really do. You know, I mean, it could just take 30 seconds with you petting your dog. Right. Right. Just just 30 seconds and just focus on the dog and everything else just.
2: Everything else just kind of fades away, you know, and that that's why having an, you know, sharing your life with an animal is so valuable and powerful because they can bring us back to the sensation of your hand and their fur or seeing them or you know, enjoying them or petting them or just, you know, being aware of their energy. You know, I just sometimes Sophia will come and sit with me on the couch and she just looks at me and it's just so sweet, you know, to have this little being just want to engage in this very pure way, you know, not for anything, not for a treat, just just purely out of the desire to connect, you know, and I think we crave that as humans, even even if we have people in our lives Sometimes we're in a hit and miss dynamics with them, you know, connecting, but the animals really show us what it's like to just be completely centrally connected, to be really just here in the moment with the animal. And maybe that involves some petting, or maybe it's gazing into their eyes or whatever that animal prefers.
1: Yeah. I'll even spend time just staring out the back door with with indigo. You know, she'll she'll hit on something and she'll just... She'll just be kind of scanning, and I'll get curious. I'm like, okay, let's go see what we're looking at. Yeah, exactly. And, and we'll just stand there together, looking at the trees or the squirrels, right. or the birds, or whatever. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. I heard someone refer to their dog as doing tree trancing, where the, her dog will just just stare at the tree and just go into this like really peaceful, calm trance. And you know, who knows what all that you know what all the levels that they're engaging on when they're connecting with that tree? It may look invisible to us but it may not be invisible to them. It may be perceptual to them, or it may they may be having a conversation or just getting a healing. You know, the trees are, are very healing. We feel that when we go out and we are with the trees. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to touch them, but just to be in their energy field is can be very, very beneficial. And so animals will do that. And, you know, if, if they are staring at something, there's something that they're engaged with whether or not we can see it and with animals you know that uh, we've talked about this in, a, in another episode in the shelter they get over their senses get overwhelmed because there's too much stimulation there's too many smells there's too many sounds too much vision and they can't do anything about it in other words they can't go sniff it they can't go identify it and so they're getting bombarded with sensation but they can't sort it out what happens i believe is my theory is that their senses get out of order and what happens is that for a dog Uh, naturally will go nose first. That's how a dog will meet you, is through the nose. They'll see you, they'll hear you, but but they really want to sniff you. That's how they're going to get most of their information about what your character is, what you ate for lunch, you know, what your intentions are, if you're friendly, if you're a dog lover or not. They're going to get all of that, you know, through all of their senses, but using predominantly the nose. And so when you can help a dog that's been overstimulated, by getting their senses back in order, meaning that where they go nose first, like with a really stinky treat or a really good scent that if you're doing scent work, that can help them reset their entire nervous system because once they're going nose first, then then they're not as reactive to movement and things that they see or hear, which can destabilize them if they're overstimulated. So, helping the dog get back to nose first is a great way to help your dog get calm. And as a at the human level, if you understand your own nervous system in terms of what senses bring you the most peace, then you can rapidly get yourself back into a peaceful state. So, for some people, that's going to be auditory. And so like just listening to music that they love is going to really put them in that great state or the absence of sound, you know, taking away sound if they've been overstimulated auditorily or people who are very visual, you know, they, if they're understimulated, they need to go to the movies or go to a a walk or be be out in a coffee shop, see more things. But if you're overstimulated visually, you might want to put an eye mask on or close your eyes for a few minutes and that's going to help your brain reset. So it, it helps for both humans and people who share their lives with animals to understand your animals, sensory preferences and your own. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. And I mean, we have all these different senses. There's things that I think we're not even aware of right? that, that intermingle with our fields as well. Our animals are able to pick up on things that we just don't get. So exactly. um, yeah, I love, I love paying attention to the dog and she just, she gives me so much more. And, you know, she enriches my energy um, more than I could even imagine.
2: Yeah, yeah. We have this one dog in our therapy program. We have a program called Canines Teach Compassion. We were bringing the therapy dogs in the high school. We have this one dog. He's seven years old, but he acts like a puppy. So he's got a lot of energy, you know. And one of the things that we're beginning to notice at first is it's very easy to just see him as kind of a rambunctious dog or even a untrained dog which is not quite true you know because he actually has has some training but he well one of the things we're beginning to understand in is that he or his person takes him on walks through kind of she lives in kind of a rough neighborhood so he gets to you know experience different people homeless people different things some homeless people he's he loves and he's fine with other homeless people he just has a negative reaction And um, at first she was like, oh, God, how am I going to do about, you know, this dog having these reactions? And then we began to really observe who he's reacting to and who he isn't. And and I said, well, this person has a really balanced energy. This looks like a really kind person. This person maybe has some entities or some energetic um, attachments that aren't so friendly, which is not nice for them. It's a rough experience, you know, that may be part of their whole a set of circumstances makes them hard for them to live in their own skin and, they, and then hard to live in the world you know but what we're beginning to realize is that this dog that seemed to be a hyperactive dog is is uh, yes he's high energy but also very refined because it's not all homeless people it's not all colors of skin that he's reacting to he's very specific about some people that he's just going to go crazy and bark and other people is just like oh hi how are you you know so um they do sense energy around us. They 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 are very good energy readers. If we know how to read their behavior, so I, I remember I told you about Oscar, my my first therapy dog, and how he was with soldiers and, I, you know, we'd be working with hospitalized soldiers, people with PTSD, and he would go around the circle and he would know exactly who the dog people were, who wanted to engage with him, and who he should just pass right by, and so it's a wonderful. Thing, to pay attention to the sensitivities, the sensational uh, attendingness of animals to people. And from them, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot about how to perceive the world through our own senses.
1: I love that. I, love okay. that. I had a question about um, sensory anticipation.
2: Yeah, this is a really good thing that we help with dogs when we're teaching the focus skill, which is the ability to make eye contact. That's part of our... Human animal connection therapy dog training program is that we want dogs to be really comfortable, really gazing into your eyes, not just giving you a glance, but to really just melt <laughs> because it's very powerful healing to just melt into another being's eyes, you know, a being that's very present. And so once they've learned how to focus, where we put the treat right at the top of our nose, right between our eyes, and the minute they look at us, they get the treat. And once they've learned it, then we slow it down and we slow it down and we slow it down. So we're slowing it down, meaning that they are watching the treat come from my nose to their nose, slower, 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 slower. They know it's a treat. They know it's going to happen. They've already taught that learned the skill of focus was our word for look. Some people use look at me, whatever word you want to use is fine, but we use focus because it also relates to the human side, that what you focus on, you get more of. So if you're focusing on joy, you're going to feel more joy. If you're focusing on gratitude, you're going to feel more gratitude. If you're focusing on stress, you're going to get more stress. So we use the word focus because it's part of the human curriculum in our, in our classes. So when we're slowing it down, what we're doing is we're actually in training the dog, to move more slowly and to be in a state of anticipation, which is the opposite of fear. So when a dog is in a state of <clears throat> anticipating something positive, not anticipating something negative, but when they're anticipating something positive, they they go out of the fear state immediately and into the, oh, good, good, what's going to happen? Good, 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 I'm going to get a treat, I'm going to get a treat, I'm going to get a treat. So the anticipation is actually just as rewarding as the treat itself, in fact, more so. So the more that you can extend the cycle of anticipation Once the dog knows what you're doing, it won't work if you don't, if they, you know, this is all, once they've learned the skill of this, you know, I look at the person, I get a treat, I look at the person, I get a treat. Once they know that, then then I go the next step, which is slowing it down making them focus on me just a little bit longer. At first, when I'm first training, they're going to get rewarded the second they look at me because you have to pair the treat with the the behavior you want with the treat within one to two seconds, preferably one. Otherwise, the dog doesn't make the connection. But once they've made that connection, then we're going to develop it further by asking the dog to focus a little longer and then to delay the gratification. Same with humans. When we know something really good is coming, that, that lovely feeling of anticipation. Oh, man, I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant. It's so much fun. It's even more fun being there. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, so anticipation is something, it's a really powerful tool that's very under underused in healing.
1: I love that. I love that. Yeah. And we should teach this to kids.
2: <laughs> yes, we absolutely should teach this you to know? kids. Remember that marshmallow test that was done in the 60s to see, um, they would tell kids, put them in an experiment in a room and say, um, here's a marshmallow right in front of you, something very tempting. Um, If you, I'm going to go away and if you don't eat it, you can have two when I come back. That was the instruction. So some kids could withstand, you know, the anticipation of waiting, uh, not eating, not consuming it, Mm -hmm. but waiting for this. And they would do all sorts of things. They would cheat. They would lick their tongue or or lick it or touch, (laughs) you know, they would do all move it, you know, like smell it, you know, I mean, it was really hard. These were, young children I think I forget exactly the age five or so four some someone young and what they did a long, longitudinal study was that they found that the kids who were able to sustain that to delay gratification had the highest success rates later in life. So it's really it became very indicative of of, of uh, future ability to manage emotional states. So yeah, this is a great thing to to train kids to be able to really enjoy anticipation, and to be in the in the in the full sensory experience of that like oh it's coming it feels good i'm happy you yeah, know it's like that is really a fun thing which sounds like it's not a present tense thing but it actually is a present tense thing because the only time you can experience pleasure is in the present right mm-hmm. we can remember pleasure and we can anticipate pleasure but the only time you can actually experience it is by being here right now so it kind of extends the realm of experience of pleasure to be in the sensory world which is the world of here and now
1: I'm craving a marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's take a quick break. Yeah. We'll be back shortly right after this, folks.
0: Hey, friends. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn more, check out Dr. Joseph's book, The Human-Animal Connection, Deepening Relationships with Animals and Ourselves. Or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org. To book an online consultation thank you for loving animals now back to the show let's talk pets on petliferadio.com
1: okay welcome back to the human animal connection show so we were just talking about sensory anticipation and um Jeannie was telling us about the study done with the marshmallow and kids, and I was starting to salivate. So we had to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about pleasure and sensory awareness, yeah. right? And how what can animals show us or teach us about that?
2: Yeah. So it's it's you know, if you've ever seen a horse roll over in in the in the dirt mm-hmm. and just relish that, you know, roll and roll and roll and make themselves all dirty, and it usually happens after they've been given a bath by their owner. let me get the dirt back (laughs) but just the pure pleasure of rolling in the dirt and I remember when I first started volunteering in shelters this was in Hawaii at the time and they had just a little tiny it was a relatively small park in you know closed in area with grass and we take these dogs that were in just cement kennels and take them to the grass and the first thing they would do after they got peaceful. I would do some healing techniques for them, get them peaceful. And then they would just go roll in the grass. And it always made me so happy to just watch this feeling. And it's, I think it's like a chiropractic adjustment. It's like everything for them. You know, they really tune their bodies up to having this little roll and just watching it made me feel good. You know, just seeing their pleasure and knowing that I had a hand in it in the sense that I provided it was fun. It was just so beautiful to see how all of their senses are organized around the same experience. Like often for humans, we're, we're, we have split focus. Like we're talking on the phone, our ears are doing one thing, our hands are doing another, our eyes are doing something else. We're multitasking a lot, you know, and, and our senses are often not working in sync. They're working in separate channels, like, you know what I mean? Um, but when we get them all organized the way animals do, it's a full body experience. It's like a vacation for the senses to bring all of our senses into order, into alignment, into, into cooperation. And that experience is very pleasurable. And for those of, you know, when you're making love, you know, that is where you want to be. You want to be here now, right? You want to be fully in the experience, all of your senses yeah. that present as opposed to, oh, what do I have to do later? <laughs> you know, what about right. this?
1: Taxes are due.
2: <laughs> Taxes are due, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, um, one of the ways that It helps us to be aware of animal sensation is to pay attention to them because often they have messages like there are countless stories of before natural disasters of the animals behavior changing completely. The birds stopping singing, the animals running for higher ground, just all kinds of dramatic behavioral changes. And in fact, uh, China went through a phase where they, they realized that animals could predict earthquakes and they started teaching people in this remote location to pay attention to the earthquake alerts and the animals were absolutely 100% accurate. So they, they went through, I don't know if they're continued doing that, but they went through a cycle of, of really saying, Hey, this is our best early warning system, remote areas, or maybe can't get the message to them or whatever. But if they just remember to pay attention to these large animal patterns, not just a single bird, but you know, if all the birds start, um, stop singing and moving, you know, someplace or all the animals start stampeding to higher ground before tsunamis. You know, in Indonesia, the animals, many of them, started to leave. You know, they went for higher ground. So
1: Yeah. Well, they're tuned in, right? There's they're tuned this in. goes back to the energy and the mm-hmm. fields that are always around us that we we just don't have a sense of most of us, um, and they're they're just constantly tied into that.
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: There's a, a little tiny bird would fit in the palm of your hand. Not you should not that you should hold it, but <laughs> that's just to give you a sense of size. It's called a very bird. And they have a very specific uh sort of schedule, seasonal schedule for what they do, you know, mating and and you know, uh, and nesting and and then migrating. So they have this very Routine, but because of climate change and everything their schedules have been changing and the other thing is that that scientists have discovered that their ability to predict a hurricane season is impeccable like in um if they know that a hurricane season is coming I mean we're talking months away several months away they will back time their whole procedure of, of mating and nesting and all of this and flying to avoid that and there were a couple of years where they The National Weather Service was predicting, oh, it's going to be a mild season, but the birds said, no, it's not. And they started doing everything early and the birds were right. So they had had data, so to speak, (laughs) sensory data, months before our most advanced scientific data could. So this is why it's so important to pay attention to the animals who are deeply tuned into the senses, even pertaining to the earth and changes in the earth and in weather and so on.
1: Yeah, um, I think uh, even in this country, um, many years ago, we were more in touch with our environment and nature. Yeah. Um, being able to, you know, just see clouds, but then you could smell right, the moisture. Mm-hmm. You'd say, oh, oh, yeah, there's rain coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and now we just like, I don't know what that is. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, and, and the weather apps are, are wrong consistently.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I remember I used to be in the movie business and when I was in Hawaii and we were working with the, you know, our, our, uh, on a film that, took place with a lot of scenes at surfing scenes. And we had this, you know, Hawaiian man who was just absolutely amazing. And in the movie business, the most expensive thing is to move the crew and the equipment. That's where you lose a lot of money. lose a lot of time. And we're talking, you know, you could lose $50,000 by making a wrong call on the weather. So it's, it's not 50,000, even more, you know, depending on the size of the crew, but lots of money could be wasted with Movement that shouldn't happen. So sometimes in Hawaii, you know, it would rain, and you know, we would need to know is this a short rain that we should just, you know, stand back and take a 15 minute break and then go right back to it, or is it going to be a long rain? And you know, as Caucasian people, we had no clue, right? You know, the weather report, and these are the little rains that aren't in the weather report, you know, in the mountains by the water and everything. And so we would turn to Brian Keolana, he was amazing, and we would say to him, you know, it would start to. Drizzle, whatever. We turned him and say, "What do you think?" And he would look at the ocean. He would look at the clouds, and he said, "It's going to rain for eleven minutes." And he was absolutely <laughs> right. It's like how I mean, wow. we would all just like chicken skin, you know? Like I mean, how does he know this? But he was so precise, and you know, that was worth its weight in gold because we knew whether to wait it out or we had to change location, do another shot, which was you know enormously expensive to to move a whole cast and crew and all the trailers and makeup and everything, you know, so to be able to know that, you know, and and that, you know, these are, this was a man who was, you know, in the water a lot, very in tune with the creatures in the water and, and just very attuned to the earth's rhythms because you, as a professional surfer, you have to be, you know, you have to be paying attention to the changes and, you know, in the Hawaiian culture, you know, they would navigate by the stars you know before there was instruments and stuff they could do these long voyages like the Hokulea you know and they would recreate these voyages now they do them now or they recreate this and with instruments for backup but using those ancient methods so by being in touch with our sensory and intuitive our higher senses not just our five senses that we know about but our pro proprioceptive senses, which is our sense of energy field around our body, you know, energy around our body, which is like with animals, like with horses, like you don't want to just go walk up to a horse and, you know, do, you know, immediately disconnect. You want to move slowly so the horse can feel your energy merging with his energy or her energy. You know, that's something that as humans, we can benefit by in, uh, remembering our our more refined senses.
1: Yeah, Indigo, she tells me frequently how she's feeling. Energetically, and if if my energy is a little tweaked and off, she's like, I'm just gonna move out of this space.
2: Exactly.
1: And you know, and she's so smart and knows how to take care of herself in that way. Where most of us are like, I feel icky and I don't understand why. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's great.
2: I know it's really interesting. And and to just pay attention to that, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'm a little tweaked out right now, and that's why she's going in the other room. You know what I mean, yeah. Sophia, my dog. You know, so yeah, that that paying attending to what they're attending to can really help us. It can. It, it's like a training to get us more in sync with our senses. To share your life with a being who's predominantly in their senses.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That, that actually brings me to my last question. Yeah. It was, what is the connection between your sense of safety and sensory awareness?
2: Really good, yeah. So I talk in the human-animal connection. We talk about something I call the safety tank, which is like kind of like the metaphor of a gas tank. It can be completely full, it can be completely empty, anything in between. So our we I believe that we have a sense of safety. Like we either feel safe or we don't feel safe. But often we're not paying attention to that because it may not be politically correct. You might I'm driving through this neighborhood and it's not. I shouldn't be a racist. I shouldn't feel unsafe, but I do. You know <laughs> what is going on? You know what is the issue? So. You know, there are so many ways that we short circuit our sense of safety that we actually lose uh, the ability to connect with it, which can come back very quickly once you pay attention to your body. So it's the same way the dog is sensing, oh, this is a nice person. I want to go say hi. You can sense that too about people or events or situations or places, you can tune in to your sense of safety. Does it feel safe to go to this place? It's not a judgmental that the place is right or wrong. It's just maybe it isn't safe for you. And that safe could be just maybe there's someone there that's really stressed or whatever, and you just don't want to be there right now. So paying attention to your own sense of safety comes through paying attention to your senses in the body. Does it feel good? Do I want to move towards this person or the situation or away from it? And if you look at the animals, they're towards in a way, we're going to do a whole show on this towards in a way, because it is so important that animals, because they're in their senses, they have an immediate sense. I want to move towards this person or I don't want to move towards this person. I want to move away from this person or situation. And that is such a beautiful thing. And when we're paying attention to our sense of safety, then we can feel, Once again, our safety tank, whether it's high or low, and it can change, you know, somebody says something mean to us and our safety sense of safety can just drop. And then we say, talk to ourselves and say, you know what, that person's just having a bad day. It's not about me. And our sense of safety can go back up. So it's it's a constantly moving thing. It's not like you have a fixed level of safety, but some people have a high level of safety and they're very resilient in all kinds of situations. And if your sense of safety is low, like you're not feeling well, or you haven't slept well, your sense of safety can be, you're more vulnerable emotionally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I see that with Indigo and a neighbor of mine. She's a very nice woman, but um, she's stressed a lot. And her yeah. and I, I can feel her energy too. She yeah. gets really tense. And when she's, yes. when she's that way, even though she has this different mask on, right. um, Indigo's like, whoa, hey, no, back off. I don't want yeah. you touching me.
2: Right. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, good yep. indigo, good doggy. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's good doggy. Can... Yeah, that's, that's such an important thing to pay attention to because it doesn't mean it's a bad person, it just means they could be stressed. And one of the things that's hard for animals, animals don't mind if we're scared, animals don't mind if we're mad, animals don't mind if we're sad. What they mind is pretending to be happy when you're mad or pretending to be happy when you're sad. That's confusing for them. Because they're getting two messages that are contradictory. So they can handle us genuinely being any emotion that we have, but they're going to prefer us to be in a congruent state, meaning we're not faking it. You know, that is a good little introduction to the world of the senses and how sensational awareness, the awareness of the senses, can really improve the quality of our life. And by paying attention to the the way our animals are sensing the world, we can get a lot of information that makes our life even easier and more joyful.
1: Yeah. Wake up, folks. Wake up. Your animals are talking to you. Yeah. Always.
2: Always. (laughs) So have fun with that. Have fun just getting into your senses and paying attention if it's hard for you. Some people are like, I don't know where my body is. You know, it's here, but I don't feel anything. Well, let's look at your How's your dog doing? Let's start with just observing. Is your dog feeling comfortable? Is your dog feeling stressed? Is your dog avoiding you like that neighbor? You know, um, that's how we can jumpstart our own connection to our own senses.
1: I love it. Great idea. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for another great episode. Yeah. I look forward to getting on the next one.
2: Yeah, definitely. Next, we're going to be talking about animal presence, how they master the present. Oh, yes.
1: Of it. All
0: right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Yeah, and thank you. See you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best selling book, The Human Animal Connection, is available on Amazon, and your donation of any amount. Keeps our nonprofit organization providing life changing services. You can reach Michael Overley, author of Let Your Dog Lead Musings on How to Create an Exceptional Life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's talk pets every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.